Welcome back, everybody, to F1 Nation for our preview to the Singapore Grand Prix with me, Tom Clarkson, and Natalie Pinkham. I'll be speaking to 10-time Grand Prix winner and former Benetton, Ferrari and McLaren driver Gerhard Berger later in the show. He's also going to be answering some of your questions. But Pinks, we've not had you on the pod since the summer break when you beat Damon in our quiz of the season so far. To say I haven't been on the pod since then, I'm like, summer break? I don't even remember what happened in the summer break. Uh, But yes, we can definitely talk about me beating Damon because I know it really irks him. He's so competitive. He's a very chilled out, lovely human being. But that competitive streak still burns strong, even after all these yeah. years, after hanging up the race suit. Something they never lose would be my my observation of retired Formula One drivers. Uh, but Pinks, how are you? How have you been? Um, what did you think of Monza? Really good. I enjoyed Monza very much. I wasn't there. I watched from the sidelines. And I suppose the three standout stories for me from the weekend. First of all, Fantastic to see Max take that 10th consecutive win. Now, I know many of you might be screaming at your speakers and your listening devices. Oh, no, it's so boring. It's so frustrating to come into Formula One knowing who's going to win the race. But I think what you need to do is be more accepting of it and say, okay, once you're over the predictability plateau and you recognize that, okay, there is a favorite, a clear favorite coming into every race weekend, then you can sit back and enjoy the fact you are witnessing sporting history being written. And that in itself is a nice shift in mindset. And then you recognise that actually the competition's behind it. And didn't we get plenty of that? Particularly Carlos Sainz, just come out of the blocks, FP1, in scintillating form. And to put it on pole in front of the adoring Tafosi, that was the story. That was a massive story. Now, Max hasn't put a foot wrong in terms of his racecraft pretty much all season. Obviously, he's lost two of the races to Checo, but you'd have to say on both of those occasions, he had issues beyond his control. So there was a sense of inevitability about when Max would overtake Carlos. But to see Carlos defend so valiantly as well was brilliant. And then the other story for me was Alex Albon. I mean, I just feel like he's in the form of his life. He is bringing that Williams home in a way that I'm not sure many others could. I love this idea about drivers really bedding in with the team, being loyal to them and carving their place within that team and then reaping the rewards of that. Max is one of those. Alex Albon is one of those. Lando Norris, okay, it's coming, fits and starts, ebbs and flows, but he is one of those. Again, we've talked about it before, but I think there's a lot to be said about sticking with the team and making it work for you. And Alex is one of those for me. Pinks, I agree with all three of your points. I mean, I'm relishing seeing Max Verstappen do his thing now. And I've got to the point where I want to see how far they can get. Because, as you say, it's sporting history. He's done 10 in a row. The team has won, you know, every single race this year. And, you know, I was a bit nervous about Monza, thinking back to 1988. In fact, I can talk to Gerhard Berger about this later in the pod. But, you know, was Max going to trip over somebody? Because it was real wheel-to-wheel racing at Monza. You know, it took him 12 laps to get past Carlos Sainz. And for the first five or so, Carlos was starting to think that he might have the measure of Max. So the Ferrari was genuinely quick. But also to your point about Alex Albon bedding in with the team, you know, he's been there a few years. And I think the change at Williams is James Vowles. He's a brilliant driver manager, I think, is the way you could look at it. Logan Sargent yet to score a point this year. 
But he's talked about how good James Vowles is at looking after him and helping him. And remember that James was in charge of the Mercedes Young Driver program. He did all of the driver young driver contracts when he was at Merck. So he spent a lot of his career looking after drivers. And you can just see both Williams guys benefiting from that. So he's just like Ross Braun. It's Ross Braun. Ross Braun 2.0. Yeah, it really is. Oh, well, he's his own person as well. But I just think it's a bit like listening to a really good teacher. You know, he takes over with this level of calm and deconstructs the complex, making it simple for you to digest and absorb and understand as a fan. And he's getting involved, James this is, he's getting involved in every aspect of that team at the moment because he wants to learn and see where they can improve. So he's involved technically, he's involved with the drivers, obviously he's involved in marketing. He signed Pat Fry to join them uh, in a couple of months' time. I, I feel Williams of all the teams on the grid is the one that's on the move at the minute. It's really exciting. But... I'm not sure, Pinks, that Singapore is actually going to be one of their best racetracks because, you know, each each car, of course, you know, has its strengths and weaknesses. And I think Singapore may not play to the strengths of the Williams. But I'm still excited about going back to Marina Bay. What a track. What a venue. Night race, 8 p.m. start, lights. I love it all. The most frequently asked question that is put to me is, which is your favourite race? And I always struggle to choose between Singapore, Silverstone, Holland and Texas. I love them for such different reasons. And when I'm edging ever closer to Singapore, I get increasingly excited. There is something magical about that place. The fact that we're on a different time zone to the locals in itself feels a bit mischievous, very exciting. It feels like you're part of a gang, a club that is on a bit of a mission. For anyone who hasn't been, you walk through the hotel lobby at four in the morning to go to the gym and you just sort of bump into your mates from the paddock. It's a sense of camaraderie and that you're all out for a mission to produce this brilliantly entertaining race and uh, show for the wider public. And you're sort of battling against your own body clock to achieve it. But it's a, it's a great one and it's it's always hot. I'm always in awe of how the drivers cope with it because it's intense, a very technical track. And actually, we should talk more about that because there have been changes, haven't there, TC? So we've had uh, four corners replaced by a straight. What's that going to do in terms of lap time and indeed the length of the race? Those four corners have been taken out because there's a new venue that's been built, new buildings there. So it's now a straight and that is going to reduce lap times by, well, simulations say eight seconds. So the the number of laps in the race is going up by two from 61 to 63. So the intensity is going to increase even more. And um, I think having that extra straight uh, <laughs> might help Red Bull because, of course, their, their car is very good in a straight line, very efficient DRS. But, I mean, the intensity of the place, the walls are close. I mean, I think of the Marina Bay circuit as... Sort of Monaco on steroids. Yes, Monaco is a little bit more unforgiving because there's less runoff. But Singapore is that much faster and it's incredibly bumpy. Monaco are brilliant at resurfacing the track pretty much every year. Whereas, you know, Marina Bay doesn't get resurfaced every year. The curbs are proper curbs. There is a little bit more runoff, but... It's fast and it's very demanding on the cars as well. Do you remember back in the early days, the, the first Singapore Grand Prix was back in 2008. And I remember Mark Webber's Red Bull suffering an electronics failure as a result of going over some uh, electricity lines that were feeding the underground. 
So there's all those little complex matters. I, uh, you know, the, the gearbox was put out of sync on Mark's car and he re- had to retire. So, you know, there's lots of things that are unique to the Singapore Grand Prix. It's not just the time zone, but that, yes, that extra straight will change things. It'll help the cars that have an efficient DRS system and a good in a straight line. That is, of course, Red Bull. But there's a whole bunch of teams bringing upgrades to this race. I think for many, this is the last big upgrade of the season because they've got to start focusing on 2024. And also it's harder to move upgrades around the world. It's all it's the start of the flyaways now. The European season is already done. We've still got eight races to go, but I think the shortest flight we're going to do is probably something like seven hours. So... The logistics become a pain and all the technical teams want to be focusing on 2024. So the likes of Alfa Romeo, who are battling at the back end, you know, they're in ninth place in the Constructors' Championship in the minute. They have a big upgrade coming this weekend because they think, being only one point behind Haas, that they can catch and pass Haas in the Constructors' Championship. But Aston Martin are coming with upgrades. Mercedes have got upgrades. It's This is a really significant race coming up in terms of how it's going to define the rest of the season. Okay, well, let's drill down into Red Bull's potential performance in Singapore. You said that the changes to the track will favour them, but Christian Horner's kind of played down expectations. I mean, I know he always does. And we did say before Monaco that their winning streak may end there. We were, of course, proven very wrong by that. But he did tell us on F1 Nation last time out that Singapore will be a lot harder than Monza. So here's what Verstappen and Perez told TC in the post-Monza press conference. A little bit more difficult, I think, for us. Um, but we'll do our best. And, uh, of course, we'll try to of course, go in there and, and try to win it again. But uh, it's not, let's say, I think, going to be the strongest weekend uh, for us. I agree with Max. I think it's going to be a weekend where basically anything can happen. And hopefully we are able to have a, a very strong Saturday because if you don't start in the front row, uh, it's very unlikely that you will have a shot at, at the victory. So hopefully we can repeat what, what we did last last year there. He won there. So how buoyed will Sergio be by that? I mean, it's a street circuit. He seems to thrive at them. And going back to your old stomping ground where you know you can impress, must be a boost to him. I mean, he's had back-to-back second place finishes now it feels as if he's getting back into a bit of a groove doesn't it yeah it does i mean he's had podiums in four of the last six races so checo's race pace hasn't been the issue at any point this year really it's been his qualifying pace so he was only three tenths behind max in qualifying at monza which is i think where he should expect to be um and therefore i don't think it was a disappointing qualifying for him and i think with the format of qualifying, things very quickly escalate in that if in Q1 you don't get a lap together, your first time lap, then you've got to go again and the pressure's on. And then if you hit traffic, which he's often done, suddenly before you know it, you're knocked out in Q1 or Q2. And then, of course, however good your race pace is, it's very difficult to make progress. But particularly in Singapore, it's hard to make progress. Just look at Max last year, Max Verstappen. He was stuck behind Alonso for the, a good portion of the race and came home in seventh place. So even Max Verstappen couldn't make progress there. So you do need to qualify well. It'll be really interesting to see what Checo, what what he can pull together there. I I think back to to Monaco, where he crashed in Q1. Do you remember at Santa Vaught? And so therefore, that was his weekend destroyed. So I do wonder, Pinks, how much something like that weighs on the mind of a driver. The last time we were at a proper street track, Checo had that Q1 exit. So when he goes into Q1, 
this coming weekend. He knows he's got to keep it clean because he cannot afford a, a crash, a, a, an elimination that early in the session. Does that mean he leaves a bit in reserve and then gets caught out? And it, you know, all these things. It's such a complex mind game, isn't it? Whereas Max at the minute is driving with so much confidence, and he doesn't even. There's not a negative thought anywhere near. Max Verstappen. Okay, you, I feel you've hit the nail on the head. You talked about the thought process. And for me, overthinking these things is where you have the issue. Max doesn't do that. He just doesn't. He just gets out there and drives. It's instinctive for him, isn't it? Do you know, Pinks, the bit of advice that Max gave to Liam Lawson prior to Liam's first race at Zandvoort, do you know what he said to him? Don't overthink it. Just go out there and enjoy it. There you go. So just don't over. You're absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. It, it, it's just let it come naturally. And I think that has been Checo's Achilles' heel all year. Is that I think early on in the season, the, he was getting on very well with the car. He wasn't overthinking it, and hence he was winning in places like Saudi Arabia and Baku, and he was knocking up the the podiums. And then suddenly, after Baku, there was an upgrade. Max also found made some progress with tyre wear. And he started to overthink it because he couldn't understand where the gap to Max had gone. And then when you overthink it, it's not coming naturally. And, 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 and. And then hence, that's where we are today with Max on 364 points and Checo 145 behind. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because cynics, conspiracy theorists will throw it out there that the car has been engineered away from Checo and towards Max. Well, the counter argument to that, which Christian Horner pointed out, was no, we're just trying to make the fastest car. And that does happen to suit Max Verstappen's style of driving, driving on the nose, very responsive, reactive, very sensitive to the way the car handles. I guess if those theories do get under your skin and into your head, you will start to overthink it and potentially question it. But I don't believe that the, the team are actively looking to undermine. Sergio Perez and his driving style, I think it's just a very specific type of setup that lends itself well to Max. And again, harks back to the point that if you bed in with a team and mould it around you, the car itself and the development of that car will naturally be more in your favour. It absolutely does. And if the car is on the nose, i.e. by definition, it's going to be a little bit looser at the rear. Max can deal with that. And I remember Andy Green, the, the then technical director of Force India, telling me that one of Checo's greatest strengths is that he said it's like he's got traction control in his right foot. He is so brilliant with the rear tyres at knowing where the limit is in terms of not getting out of shape at the rear. He can dance that dance of, of being just on the, the limit of adhesion. And therefore, when the car has a tendency to oversteer, which I think the current Red Bull does, it just goes against every natural driving instinct he has. So if Singapore is to be more difficult for Red Bull, as Horner, Verstappen and Perez have all suggested, then which teams could take advantage? Well, Ferrari were their closest challengers in Monza with Sainz's pole and podium. So how much of that momentum can they take into this weekend? Well, it'll be interesting to see, won't it? Um, I, I think Carlos Sainz is on a bit of a roll. That fifth place in Zandvoort just after the summer break was, I thought, the limit of that car. And just look at the difficulties that Charles Leclerc had that weekend. And I'm not talking about the race where he had damage. Just all weekend, Charles was struggling with the balance of the car, whereas 
uh, Carlos wasn't so much. And then, of course, pole and third place, his first podium of the season, of course, uh, at Monza last time out. So I feel science is on a roll. Is the Ferrari going to be as competitive at Singapore as it was at Monza? No, because the, the track characteristics won't suit the car as much. But that extra straight that we've already talked about will certainly lean towards the Ferrari. It is more efficient in a straight line. Look at the pace of it at Spa. Look at the pace of it at Monza. So any straight line performance is good for Ferrari. And confidence. Confidence is king. And, and Carlos is driving hugely confidently at the moment. It'll be really interesting to see what Leclerc can do. He has been the better qualifier this year on the whole. Charles was part of that scintillating Q3 at Monaco where Charles, Fernando Alonso and Max Verstappen and Esteban Ocon actually were all lighting up the purple sectors in at the end of Q3. So, you know, Charles was able to get a lap out of it around a street track in Monaco. Can he do the same next weekend? It'll be hard, but and it, also he needs, I feel Charles needs to reassert himself in that team for so long. I don't know if you agree, Pinks, but for so long, we've always thought of Charles as, or I have anyway, thought of Charles in the same breath as Max, in the same breath as Lando Norris, in the same breath as, as Lewis Hamilton. I don't know. It's, it's, I feel that his head has dropped in recent races and he just needs to get his mojo back and, and prove that he is still that man. Okay, he's got a year to go on his contract, but he's going to start talking to the team about uh, a new contract. And I just, I'd like to see him drive with the confidence that we've seen. Do you remember, look, 2019, his second year of Formula One. Charles Leclerc was amazing, such a breath of fresh air. And poor old Seb Vettel didn't know which way to look most of the time. And I want to see that Charles back. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is to do with this purple patch that Carlos Sainz finds himself in. As you've touched on, Fred Vasseur called the Italian Grand Prix Ferrari's best Grand Prix weekend of the season. What a place to do it. But crucially, it was Carlos Sainz that led that charge. And you would assume that he will be hugely buoyed by that going into this weekend. But I think, for me, Ferrari have been the hardest team to get a read on. Coming in to Monza, every pundit out there was talking down their chances. And then Carlos goes and puts it on pole. Even within the team, they admit they don't know where they are and this head scratching. Carlos, it feels, has come to terms with that car quicker than Charles. That in itself will potentially make Charles feel slightly uneasy. But they're both brilliant drivers. As many have said many a time, Ferrari on form is great for Formula One. I think it's incredibly difficult to know how Ferrari will perform at Singapore. But Charles seems to enjoy it there, and particularly over a single lap. I don't know. I think he could he, he could just bounce back. When he was interviewed post-Monza, I was actually surprised how upbeat Charles was, considering he'd been outperformed by his teammate. He seemed to really enjoy himself there, didn't he? The battle that he had with sides. I mean, but actually they were able to come out of it with third and fourth in front of their home crowd. Yeah. And... I would have thought Charles would have walked away there slightly bruised by that, but he didn't. He seemed to be really lifted by it. So I'm hoping that translates to a strong performance this weekend, albeit at a different track. But also, I think Charles can recognise, uh, I think he's a sportsman in the truest sense of the word. And I think he could recognise that Carlos was flying last weekend. Carlos said after the race, it was his best race weekend for Ferrari. From FP1 onwards, he said he was on it. He said it was his best weekend of his Ferrari career. And I think Charles can recognise that. And I felt 
not beaten by the better man. I don't think he was thinking in those terms, but he was thinking, I've just had a, you know, was there actually a loser in that battle? Yes. Okay. One finished third, one finished fourth, but it was wheel to wheel stuff. It was respectful. It was exciting. And, you know, they crossed the line, you know, line astern. So great for Ferrari. I would have thought it might have made an interesting debrief on Monday morning in Maranello. I would imagine Fred was like, okay, guys, uh, that was the limit. But both drivers, I thought, kept it, you know, the right side of the unwritten law at Ferrari. And um, we got the benefit because it was very exciting to watch. Now, of course, crucially in terms of the Constructors' Championship, Ferrari were able to leapfrog Aston Martin after Monza. They're now 11 points ahead. It's very tight still behind Red Bull, isn't it? But... It begs the question, now, can you only imagine that if Stroll was able to pull the same weight as Alonso, what Aston Martin may be on in terms of a points tally by now? He has had some bad luck, though, you'd have to say. Mike Crack said, it's not a marked gap in performance. There's a marked gap in points. It's important to separate between the two, calling the gap circumstantial. So that's how much bad luck Mike Crack thinks that Lance Stroll has had. But the difference between the two drivers is 123 points. So how does Lance salvage something from the season now? Is that circumstantial? That's a huge gap. I feel that the gap is too much. You know, if, if Aston Martin had two drivers scoring points, they wouldn't be in fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. I actually think they'd still be in second ahead of Mercedes. You know, Alonso is carrying that team. They're benefiting from his experience hugely in terms of development, in terms of setup, but also in terms of maximising everything. Just look at what Alonso did at Zandvoort. It was, it was a true champion's drive. It just seems to me the difference, I think, between Alonso and, and, and Stroll is that Alonso extracts everything from every situation, whereas Stroll does it occasionally. And is that experience tenacity, talent, whatever. I mean, Fernando's got it all, but does that mean that ninth in Italy was all that they were able to achieve? Fernando certainly said it was all the team deserved and they need to learn lessons from the race. Well, because the car isn't as efficient in a straight line as a Red Bull, as a Ferrari. And hence they struggled at Spa as well, which is, of course, remember, has got that 22-second run from La Source all the way up the hill to Le Combe. Um so in term, I think the lessons he's talking about is that at the minute, the performance of that Aston Martin fluctuates too much from one race to the next. It's really good on, an, uh, on a tight street track. And I think they will be much more competitive here. They've got an upgrade package coming as well. And I think what he's saying is the lessons we've got to learn is we've got to produce a car that fluctuates in performance less from race to race. And that, that is the lesson. And that is what Dan Fallows and the technical team there will be trying to drill into next year's car. But I find it interesting that Aston Martin are one of the top teams that is still very much, you know, developing their car. Williams, I think we talked about a couple of pods ago, have long since given up any development on this car. They're focusing on next year. But with the regulations not changing that much over the winter, there is every reason to continue developing this car, really, because the lessons you learn now will be directly relevant for next year's car it's kind of i feel the difference between this year and next year is it's it's the same development cycle just with a two-month gap between the last race of 2023 and the first race of 24. well there may be some asking tc how does this all work under the cost cap how can you continue developing to that extent when you do have strict budgets to adhere to we should say that all 10 teams have come in under 
the cost cap, which is good to hear. So we're not going to have the drama and trauma, if you like, that we did at the end of last year when we heard that Red Bull had broken it and the ramifications of that. So the good news for all of us, I believe, is that they're all in under it. In layman's terms, Tom, how do you explain to those listening how teams are able to continue developing under the cost cap? Well, it's just cost management, isn't it? So for 2022, in which you've just, as you say, all 10 teams came in under the cost cap, the teams had $142 million to spend. And that's to do with racing and performance. That doesn't include marketing, it doesn't include driver salaries, and it doesn't include the top three salaries of people employed at the factories. But in terms of performance and racing, you've got $142 million, and it's just a case of how you allocate that budget. I would say that Aston Martin hasn't had much crash damage this year, whereas a team like Alpine has. And that obviously costs money. You know, think back to the Australian Grand Prix when both Alpines were taken out you know, at that last restart. So it's just a case of how do you how do you spend your $142 million? Okay, can I ask a quick question on that? How much do you sort of put aside for potential cost damage? Uh, well, I, I think they keep a, a war chest of 10% back for unexpected costs. Okay, so let's say 14, 15 million dollars. And that's that can be just anything that's unexpected, whether it's crash damage, whether it's freight getting damaged, you know, on the way to a race or but then if you get to this point in the season, then you might start thinking, well, I tell you what, that new front wing with all the development, etc., that's a million dollars I can take from the war chest and, and allocate to improving this car because not only is it going to improve performance now it's going to help with learning for next year and I think that's where Aston Martin are and I'm expecting them to be faster in Singapore and let's not forget that Alonso is a bit of a master around Singapore he's been quick there every year yeah so I'm expecting him to go well and I'm expecting to be to see Stroll just a little bit further back Okay, let's take things on to McLaren. And they were unfortunate, you'd have to say, not to have both cars in the points in Monza. That was after Oscar Piastri was hit by Lewis Hamilton in the latter stages of the race. Lando Norris did come home, though, in P8 to secure his sixth points finish in a row. It's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously they had this huge turnaround in form after Austria with that upgrade. And we were like, wow, have you ever seen anything like it? This mid-season turnaround. And Andrea Stella has said that he's seen a massive advantage from being able to develop the 24 car in their own wind tunnel. So it feels like the future is positive as well. Oscar, you'd have to say, has been unlucky. I think he's had a great rookie season, but you remember him getting taken out at the beginning of Spa. It would have been great to see how well he would have gone there had it not been for that first lap incident with Sainz. And of course, that moment with Lewis as well. Uh, this happens, I suppose, in the midfield, doesn't it? It's always fairly cluttered and busy. Pinks, can I wind it back to Monza quickly? Because I thought Monza was a really significant race for Piastri. Um, he outqualified Lando Norris. He was confident. It was kind of science-esque. You know, if we say that Monza was science's best race for Ferrari. I felt Monza was Piastri's best race for McLaren. You know, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Hamilton. He wasn't put off. He wasn't in awe of Hamilton. He just, he's growing by the race. And I i think he's going to become an unstoppable force. And and I really like the driver pairing at McLaren. And, and, and actually, it's something that Oscar and I discussed last week as well, was the fact that loads of Aussies come to Singapore because it's close to home relatively to, to the rest of the championship. 
yes, it's his first visit to Singapore. That'll take him some time, you know, to get his head around it. But let's not forget, they do so many miles, uh, so many laps on the simulators now that he'll know he'll know which way it goes. Then it's just a case of dialing himself in in, in real time. But I, I think Piastri is just getting stronger and stronger. And, and I get, I totally get why Mark Webber has been telling people like you and me for the last three or four years, look out for Piastri, he's the real deal. And it's so difficult to tell in F2 and F3, isn't it? In F3, you know, we had all those DRS problems. So some races, he didn't look that good, but actually he had technical problems. And in F2, how good is the rest of the field? You're never quite sure. He then sits a year out. And there's all the wrangling about who he's going to drive for. So you're just not quite sure. And you're going, yes, Mark, I know you believe in him. But then you actually see him doing his thing in Formula One and seeing him grow by the race. And um, yeah, so so Piastri, very strong. Lando needs no introduction. I, I, I feel he is right up there with Max. The only interesting thing that came out of Monza with regards to Lando Norris, I felt, was him publicly saying... I would like to be Max Verstappen's teammate. He said it with a smile, but I would have thought the more political response would have been to just bash it away. Yet he actually said, I would like to do it. I'd like to put myself up against Max. Now, does that mean he's going to Red Bull? Does that mean he wants Max to come to McLaren, in which case Oscar Piastri, there's no room for him at McLaren? I just thought it was an interesting comment to make and one that was only going to set the cat among the pigeons really so i'd love to know what lando was thinking saying that but as a racing driver so fast and something andrea stella has said all season is that one of lando's great strengths is that he can go out there and on lap one schumacher-esque nail the lap and that was one of michael schumacher's great attributes so you know immediately where the limit of the car is he doesn't need to dial himself in so bringing it back to singapore i think mclaren have two really strong drivers i think the car will go better in singapore than it did at monza last time out let's not forget only two weeks ago he was lining up lando was lining up on the front row of the grid at zanvoort so a lot to be very bullish about in woking You've made two really interesting points for me, TC. The first is about Oscar not being phased by Lewis. That really struck me in your interview with him. He was very laid back. This is a seven-time world champion that he will have grown up potentially idolising, and now he's sharing the tarmac with him, and he's not phased by that. He is mature beyond his years. So that combined with speed, well, it bodes very well for the future for both him and McLaren. I don't know if you can read that much into what Lando said. I think every driver would love to pit themselves against Max in the same machinery right now. The big question everyone wants to know is, can Max be beaten in a Red Bull? Because certainly most of the teammates that you put alongside him haven't fared particularly well. And we've touched on it already. It's the fact that the car does certainly suit his driving style. I think Lando should be careful what he wishes for because... Again, to our earlier points, Max has been at that team and fits that car like a glove and that car fits him like a glove. It's a big, big gamble to go up against him in the very same car, just as it was a gamble for Daniel and Oscar to try and get into a McLaren, another difficult car to manage and, and take on Lando. And you'd have to say Oscar has done a very good job at that. But I don't think there's a driver on the grid that doesn't think, oh, I really rate my chances against Max if we were in the same car. 
you know, they've all alluded to it at certain points, just in their very competitive nature to want to find out. It would be quite a mouthwatering combination, wouldn't it? Lando and Max. Also, they're great pals. So there's a sense of them continuing their gaming streak out onto track. Now, what of Mercedes, Pinks? We haven't had you on the pod, actually, since Lewis Hamilton and George Russell were re-signed on the Thursday, or it was announced on the Thursday of Monza. Two more years for both of them. Are you excited by that combo? Very much so. I think they're both great guys, great drivers. They seem to complement each other well. George seems to be very receptive to learning from Lewis, but again, like Oscar, like many of the other younger generation drivers, isn't phased, isn't necessarily in awe to the extent that it undermines his own approach. So I think they're a great combination. Um, I, I'd love to see them back to winning ways. I think it's been a frustrating time for them. It's difficult to know whether they've gone backwards of late or whether the tracks recently have been more suited to their competitors. Monza was, of course, the first time that George has outperformed Lewis in the race since Austria. I thought it's quite interesting, given their levels of composure and just how exposed they've been to global media over the last decade or so, that they both publicly said things. By both, I mean Lewis and Toto. Um, Lewis made some comments about his teammates being stronger than Max's. Toto apparently sort of didn't dismiss, but perhaps shrugged off the significance of Max's record consecutive wins as being irrelevant, something that was only important to Wikipedia readers. And no one reads Wikipedia, he said. Which reminds me, TC, many people may not read Wikipedia. I'm afraid I don't because I don't necessarily trust it. And the one reason for this is someone has just sent me this. Natalie is an internationally renowned expert at recognising slowed down audio recordings of people's voices. <laughs> and that is why you won the quiz. Oh my God, that's amazing. Back to the Toto and Lewis point. Now, obviously, we've got to be careful about believing every headline that we read because we know how these things get taken out of context. But it feels as if, you know... A bit churlish. Yeah, I mean, just I just think just being incredibly complimentary of your competitors let other people criticize and bring up these points because there will be someone out there thinking those exact same points and it comes better from someone else but of course it makes the headlines when they say it but how do you think they will get on in Singapore they've always been a bit of a mystery in Singapore Mercedes they seem to sort of go on and off like I remember in 2014 first year of the the hybrid power units Mercedes were on pole yet the following year they qualified fifth and sixth then the year after that, they were on pole. Then the year after that, they qualified fifth and sixth again. So it seems that they they find it hard to find consistency in Singapore. Andrew Shovlin, their engineering chief, openly admits that Singapore is a bit of an outlier for them and they're not always sure how they're going to go. George Russell struggled a little bit last year, no doubt about that. Uh, so maybe this will be a better year if they have you know, one year on, one year off. It would point to this year being a better year. But I think it's difficult to predict what they will do uh, in Singapore. But, you know, since they introduced their upgrade in Monaco, the car has undoubtedly been better. We didn't see the full extent of the latest upgrade in, in Zandvoort, I felt, because of the wet weather and everything that the teams were thrown at by the weather gods uh, in Holland. So 
with another upgrade coming as well in Singapore, it'll be interesting to see what they can do. But they are it is an outlier for them. Difficult to predict. Now, something else that's difficult to predict, TC, is what AlphaTauri will do with their driver lineup next year. It's a good problem to have because the talent on offer is pretty remarkable. Liam Lawson has stepped in in Daniel Ricciardo's absence and done a great job. I mean, he hasn't got into the points yet. And we all miss Daniel, don't we, TC? How much? Oh, Oh, huge, huge. We love Daniel. Um, I was amazed, by the way, that he broke his metacarpal in seven places. Seven. I'm just looking at my hand now as I speak to you. Think, crikey, how can you shattered? But um, let's just take one quick moment, though, TC, to sing his praises because in that moment he could have gone into the side of Oscar Piastri or turn in, and knowing that there probably would be ramifications. And, and painful ones for himself. And in that moment, he did exactly that. I suppose the human instinct is to avoid collision with another human. But he's paid a pretty heavy price for it, hasn't he? Because just after his comeback, he now looks like not coming back to potentially Qatar. I mean, Singapore was mm. always going to be too soon. Such a physical circuit, such a demanding one, particularly with steering wheel changes. But we're now hearing that he may not make it for Japan either. So that is four races Four races for Daniel in his comeback for four opportunities, though, for Liam Lawson, who who has done very well and he's taken it in his stride. And he probably has taken Max Verstappen's advice that you told us about earlier, not overthinking mm. it. Just go out there and do what comes naturally to you. It will be his first experience at the Marina Bay circuit, a circuit which, ironically, Daniel has always done very well at, um, including, of course, last year after his McLaren contract had been terminated. So how much of a headache is this for Red Bull and AlphaTauri? It's a, it's a good problem to have, but three into two doesn't go. Well, Red Bull have a history back in, what was it, 2006, when Christian Klein did some races for the team and then Vit, Vit Antonio Liuzzi did some races for the team. They shared the car, but um, I, can't, <laughs> I can't actually see them doing that again. Um, three into two doesn't go. It's interesting that... You know, they're, they're changing the philosophy at AlphaTauri uh, next year. They want the team to go back to being more of a young driver development team. Um, so, they, you know, they're reducing the development budget. They're going to take as much from Red Bull racing as they can, whereas in recent years they've been developing everything themselves. You know, there's a bit of a move back to the UK for some of the technical team. So I think if they're trying to make the team a place for young drivers to be nurtured and and developed then Daniel Ricciardo is not a young driver uh, it maybe isn't looking so good for him but equally they might love the fact that Daniel is such a good benchmark so then it becomes do you go Liam Lawson or Yuki Tsunoda alongside him and yeah I mean it's a nice problem to have and all three of those drivers will be using these last eight races to really show what they can do before the decision over next year's driver lineup is made TC, Daniel has to win at least two more races in Formula One. Do you know why? I don't know. Oh, another quiz. I don't know. Tell me. Think about the guest on this week's podcast. He cannot retire from the sport with less race wins than his father-in-law. Ah, okay. Yeah. They're not getting married. <laughs> I just say it is his girlfriend's father. Just to clarify, just to clarify before we start getting any headlines. <laughs> Gerhard, it's lovely to see you. We've just been discussing your future son-in-law on the show. Who is it? Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, 
Well, he's changing the whole time, so I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right for the moment, yes. <laughs> Listen, it's very good to see you. Um, can we just start by talking about um, Max and just the phenomenal season he's having? Can you describe the scale of the achievement, 10 in a row? The performance of, of Max is really unbelievable. And it reminds me of Ayrton. It's just one-to-one like Ayrton was at my time. And these two are outstanding drivers, what, maybe 30, 40, 50 years arrive. And I never liked to put somebody on the same level than, than Ayrton because maybe it was also emotionally, it was a friend of mine, but the performance of Ayrton was just unbelievable. You know, it was wet on ball, it was dry on ball, it was a street circuit on ball, it was in a quick circuit on ball win the races, um, didn't make mistakes, read the races better than anyone others, was quicker coming into the pit, quicker going out, whatever. And Max is doing exactly the same. So it's very impressive, guys. I mean, sometimes I'm a little bit at the moment, I, I, I have to say we have to also talk about Schumacher and about Hamilton. Because, you know, you talk about Senna and, and Verstappen, you start to forget two other unbelievable great champions with seven times world championship um, wouldn't be fair not to bring them into the conversation too but I have to say this Senna and this Verstappen they both have another another touch on top of it what puts them for me to number one what is Max's standout quality uh, Max didn't do anything others in his life than sitting in the cart every day and and driving and driving and driving but I think there's another factor we are living now in a time where simulators working very well too. And I think uh, Max Verstappen sitting every day in the cart and being at the same time a big fan of simulator and playing all day long these games give him a knowledge what I think it's, it's, it's another level. I mean, in, in the games, he started to, to play already in, in very young years, all kind of situations after the start, after the first corner, into the first corner, into the restart, and, and so on. And I, I, I just think we, we see all these things. He doesn't make a mistake when it's a restart. He doesn't make a mistake when he reads the race. He knows where to overtake and where not to overtake. And this is all experience what he collects in a combination with cart and with uh, simulators, what he's using re- very regularly. That's praise indeed from you. Gerhard, uh, were you surprised that Hamilton and Toto Wolff at Monza were, they weren't dismissive of Max's achievements this year, but Toto very much said, oh, it's it's one for Wikipedia and no one reads Wikipedia, whereas Hamilton was saying, yeah, Max hasn't had a tough teammate like I have. Did you think it was unnecessary of them to come up with those lines? Uh, of course not, but uh, on the other side, Thanks God we have all these kind of discussions. What 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 should we, should we talk now? If they if they all would just be very streamlined and never any critical comments, in some ways they are a bit frustrated too, because uh, the seasons are not running as they would like to run, and and then in the right moment, the wrong question gives uh, some statements like this. But at the end of the day, they they've been highly competitive over so many years. And uh, at this time, others maybe made some comments like this. And now they are in a different situation and they have to, they have to swallow it. Let's say it this way. Luis says, 
Max doesn't have a strong teammate, but would Luis be happy to join Max in the same team I topped? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think would win that battle? It's a question of age in this case, I would say. I think Max is the new generation and it's it's young and it's maybe approaching different way. But you never could say until you haven't seen it. Sometimes then the car fits a bit better to this guy or a bit better to this guy. Difficult to say. But obviously, Luis is a very outstanding driver, uh, one of the best I have seen in this business. But Max is uh, on the way to be the best. Maybe he's already. Gerhard, how much do you think Red Bull are obsessing about this unbeaten run of you know winning every race? Do you think that is the only focus they have left this year? No, I think there is, there is many things you have to be focused the whole time because I'm sure they're already thinking what they're going to have to do for next year and how the car has to be, how the team has to be. And obviously, when you're such have such a good performance. All the teams try to steal your people, of course. So I think they have more than enough on the table. What you don't see outside, but I think inside, it's not that easy to keep performance on this high level. And as you see, Mercedes, they've been in a situation at one stage very, very strong. And and suddenly it's gone. And nobody knows why it's gone. And I'm sure the, the Christian or, or the guys from Red Bull are clever guys. They will also say, well, we have to see that we don't lose it. And if we lose it, we know immediately from where we lose it. So I don't think this is the only focus. But yeah, they would love to win all the races, as nobody did before. But it's still a long season to go. I'm thinking of Monza 88 now, Gerhard. Jean-Louis Schlesser. Who is going to be the Jean-Louis Schlesser of 2023? It's not, not just Jean-Louis Schlesser. You have so many things that can go wrong, you know. I mean, you do a wrong pit stop, or you have a technical failure, or you have an, an accident where somebody else fault. Uh, I mean, you have you have so many different chances every race to lose it that it's very special if you win so many races already in a row. But if you want to win another eight or how many more races we have, a lot can happen. And what about Ferrari, Gerhard? You know, you had two stints there. Um what do you make of their current trajectory? Do you think with Fred Vasseur they can climb back to the top? Difficult to say. At the moment, it's um, up and down. And um, I always say it. I would have felt better if I would have been Ferrari to keep Pinotto on one side, on the technical side, and put Vasseur also on the spotting side and, and try to, to split some work, uh, put not everything on to one shoulder because it's such complex today to have a successful Formula One team that uh, difficult for, to, for one man to manage everything. But anyway, they chose it this way. And uh, in some ways, you feel them not as fast as they've been last year, maybe doing a little bit less mistakes, maybe not, I don't know, but the outcome is quite similar. Uh, but it's not good enough to beat Red Bull. But saying this, we have the two Ferraris, we have the two Mercedes, we have the two McLarens, we have one Aston Martin, you know, I mean, uh, there's uh, five cars that could be maybe champion. Do you think Ferrari's situation now is similar to the Ferrari that you rejoined in 1993? There's, you know, a new team boss happens to be French now as it was in 93. Do you think there are parallels to be made? 
Um, I wouldn't make parallels to the team boss, but in general, yes. Very similar to the way when when we've been there, yeah. I totally agree. When you look to all the years of Ferrari, there was just two guys really could take the team in their hands and running the team. That was Niki Lauda and Michael Schumacher. I mean, you had some other champions, but they've been champion because everything was going in the right direction, fine. But Michael and and Nicky, they run the team for a long time with a lot of championships they won or races they won. And it looks like they had a special talent running the team. Is that needed now? Is Charles Leclerc the man to do that? So difficult to say from outside, but shouldn't be the driver what runs the team, should be the manager. But you have this this uh, multi-talents like Senna was, like uh, Schumacher was, like like definitely Hamilton would be somebody. But you have other ones also where it's run by a good team manager. And when Ferrari was extremely successful, you had a great team manager with Sean Dot. You had a great driver with Michael Schumacher. You had a great designer with Roy Byrne. You had a great technical director with Ross Brown. And I'm a strong believer that just a big group like this uh, really brings the optimum out of a team. Look, Gerhard, thank you for that. Uh, It's always brilliant to get your thoughts. There's one last section I'd love to discuss with you. It is Ask the Nation, where the listeners write in with questions. I'd love to put some of those to you. First up, Adrian asks, which drivers from another racing series would you like to see have a crack at Formula One in the near future? I said until one race or two races ago, I would like to see Lawson getting a chance because Lawson was in TTM with us. He was as quick, maybe even uh, a little bit quicker or the same than Albon. And uh, and uh, he was very impressive also in, in the race overtaking. So I always thought he should have a chance, but he got the chance now. Damien asks, uh, who's the best driver never to have raced in Formula One? Never raced in Formula One. That's an interesting question. That's difficult to answer. I'm going to throw in a couple of names at you. What about Tommy Byrne? Tommy Byrne. Tom Christensen. The first guy I was thinking was Tommy, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Tommy, you know, Tommy couldn't race because 24 races as they have now, it's so much, and you know, he would be drunk to halftime, so he couldn't race. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Tommy Byrne was, a, was an outstanding talent, no question. But there were some other really, really quick guys in Formula 3 uh, and, and in other categories. John Nielsen, that was a Danish guy, very, very good too, and he raced for Jaguar in sports cars, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but let's stick with Tommy. He was an interesting character. Tommy was certainly a party animal, wasn't he? And uh, you raced against him in Formula 3, of course, Scarehard. Well, look, what about our final question? This is from James, who asks, which team has the best driver lineup in Formula 1? Hmm. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's Mercedes. Because Russell is doing an extremely good job. Hamilton is Hamilton, no question. Uh, but in Red Bull, you have Max. is 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 more a one-man show. I I like very much the drivers lineup of McLaren. Very strong, but not as experienced enough, maybe. But I would put them also very strong. 
Eigenlijk kosten de Ferrari line up. De line up van Ferrari is, 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 is oké. Okay, you know? I mean, in Ferrari, if it doesn't work, it's always then the discussion around the driver. But I think the driver is fine. Uh, I would say Mercedes. Gerhard, thank you. Fascinating to talk to you as ever. Thank you so much for your time and see you soon. Thank you, Tom. See you soon. Well, great to hear from Gerhard. He's always strong in his views. And looking forward to Singapore now. Can't wait for the race. Who's your top three? Ah, well, Pinks, as I said earlier in the pod, I actually now want Max Verstappen and Red Bull to continue their unbeaten run. But just just to see how far they can go. I, I, you know, I love it when sportsmen and women do just amazing things. And that's what we're witnessing. So I would like to see Max Verstappen win this race for that reason. I would like to see Aston Martin back up there. So I'd like to see Fernando Alonso back on the podium. And I would like to see a McLaren on the podium as well. And I think because it's Oscar's first trip to Singapore, I think Lando might be a tiny bit stronger. So I'm going to say Lando Norris P3. How about you? Oh, it's hard, isn't it? It's so hard to call. I think you're right. I think it will be a Red Bull win once again. I think a Mercedes may just come good. I'm not going to choose between them. And a Ferrari. And I'm not going to choose between them either. So really, you haven't had a prediction from me. Bad luck. Oh, it's been great to see you and speak to you. And uh, we'll see you in Japan, won't you? You're going to be on the ground at Suzuka. Cue violins for a moment. I take off on the 19th of September, which is the day before my birthday. By the time I've landed, because I'm going indirect, and with the time difference, I land after my birthday on the 20th. (laughs) So I spend the whole of my birthday in the air, on my own, on a flight. I can hear the violins. That's a sad story. (laughs) And I'm sure you're not going to be on your own. So I'm trying to get Damon and Bernie Collins on the same flight so we can open presents together. Because it is, of course, Damon Hill's birthday on the 17th, fellow Virgos. So we can have a double celebration at 35,000 feet. And before we go, please have a listen to this week's F1 Beyond the Grid podcast, where I speak to the man who helped kickstart the careers of stars like George Russell, Esteban Ocon and Alex Albon. It's Mercedes driver development advisor Gwen Legrue. And you can listen to that from Wednesday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. But we'll be back next Monday for our review of the Singapore Grand Prix. Pinks, great to chat. Have a good week. Thank you very much. I'll see you in Japan. Arigato. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios.